I'm afraid that I'm missing his best time. Today is his best day. Tomorrow he's going to have declined in even a little minuscule way. He is one step farther down the road on this path than he was today. Hi, I'm Bobby. I'm a certified caregiving consultant and a certified caregiving educator. I also lead a caregiver support group in my local community. And I'm her husband, Mike, and I'm a certified caregiver advocate and a certified music therapist. And this is Roger That, a podcast dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. Here, we focus on the caregiver, offer our practical insights, and share some emotional support. And we might even share a laugh or two, because we all know laughter is the best medicine. And don't forget the wine, Mike. Speaking of best medicines, right? (laughs) (laughs) You got that right. (sighs) In the past, we've talked about the COVID isolations in facilities in some ways that you can alleviate some of the isolation via windows and virtually. And we've also had it come up in our own family when our son-in-law was severely injured in an accident and his wife wasn't able to get into the hospital with him, even to find out if he was still alive. Um, And that's become a big issue with people in the care facilities. Our guest today has taken a job as a dishwasher in the facility where her husband is a resident so she could see him. She's the founder of Caregivers for Compromise, which is a coalition of regional Facebook group pages, which has been created by the necessity to join forces across the U.S. as a common voice for our loved ones in nursing homes and long-term care facilities who are dying from isolation. This brings us to our next guest, Mary Daniel. Welcome, Mary. I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much. So I know uh, from watching your Facebook messages and and paying attention to what's going on with you that um, you've been very busy advocating for caregivers and those who are in facilities. Please share some of that information now with our listeners. It all really started um, right at the beginning of March or mid-March at the beginning of the lockdown. Um, I started reaching out to my local politicians, to the governor. Um, I actually reached out to the care facility themselves saying, okay, I have to get in there. What can I do? Um, Can I volunteer? Can I get a job? Um, And they sort of said, let's just wait and see what happens. This is early on in the game. We think this is going to be, you know, that was remember back in the days of 15 days to slow the curve. (laughs) So we all thought that you know, this was just a temporary fix. And as the days turned into weeks and the weeks turned into months, I started sort of speaking a little bit louder. I got the attention of the local media here in Jacksonville and the corporate office heard me, um, the corporate office of my husband's facility. And since I had offered at one point to go to work there, they called me completely out of the blue in the be- at the end of June and said, we have a part-time position available if you'd like to have it. And I said, what is it? And they said, it's a dishwasher. And I said, well, then dishwashing it is. And I, I had my first day, uh, July the 3rd. Uh, it had been 114 days since I'd seen Steve. Wow. And tell us a little bit about his reaction when he saw you. You know, uh, it had been really difficult. He, uh, we had tried FaceTime. We had done a couple window visits. It had been extremely difficult. He is, um, has a very difficult time articulating saying words. He talks a lot, 
but he can't, he doesn't, I mean, we, I can't understand um, the majority of what he's saying. So being on a FaceTime conversation with him is useless. He's not able to understand why I'm not there. He's not able to tell me about his day. We're not, there's nothing to talk about really when he's not able to communicate. Um, he would get confused. I would blow him a kiss and he would want to kiss the phone and uh, the window visits were, were horrible. He cried um, because he just didn't understand. He would try to hand me things through the window. Um, it was just incredibly painful. And on Father's Day, I decided that I wasn't going to do that anymore, That uh, which is an incredibly difficult decision for a wife to make, that I'd rather him not see me than see me in a way that he can't get to me. Um, so when we first saw each other, I did my shift and I do that now. I work um, first so that he, otherwise he won't understand. He doesn't know that I'm a dishwasher there. He doesn't know that I'm actually working. He doesn't, he can't understand that. So I show up at the end of my shift so that he doesn't see me and then I go away and then I have to come back because that doesn't make sense to him. But the very first day, what I've said all along about this is, you know, I'm, I'm afraid that I'm missing his best time. Today is his best day. Tomorrow he's going to have declined in even a little minuscule way. He is one step farther down the road um, on this path than he was today. And so I'm missing his best days. And that's the fear. That was my fear that I'm going to miss him while he still knows me and that while he still recognizes me. And am I going to get back to him in time? So when I knocked on his door and opened up the door and he turned around, he was just standing there. I mean, I don't know what he does all day long. Um, the TV wasn't on like I had wanted it on for in his room all the time. And he turned around and the first thing he said was Mary. So knowing that he, um, remembered me, that he knew me. And uh, we both cried. We hugged and um, we both cried. And we have settled into our very same routine. I'm only there two days a week. I go Thursdays and Fridays. So I was there last night. I'll go again tonight. And, and we settle into, he's very easy to do exactly what we did every single night um, before. And we had a very simple routine of me coming in after dinner and getting him ready for bed, uh, getting in bed, watching TV for a few hours and him drifting off to sleep and me going home. And we have been able to get back to that. Has anybody else been able to do that in, in that facility? No one is doing it in this facility. I don't know that anyone has asked in this facility, to be honest with you, but I am seeing story after story on our Facebook page. I read a new one this morning where a woman was hired as the activities director in her uh, mother's um, facility so that she could get in and, and is working there with them now. So I know there are other people out there. I mean, it's hard. I tell people, you know, I, I, I'm 57 years old. Washing, the washing dishes isn't the hard part. It's the mopping the floor that is my nemesis. You know, I, that's not really what I enjoy doing. And it's, I mean, it's, you know, that's, I'm, did I mention I'm 57 years old? Mopping a big commercial kitchen, you know, is not my favorite thing to do. So it's not for everybody. And, you know, I, when they mentioned dishwasher, you know, I said, do you, you don't have anything in activities? Because I'm great at puzzles. <laughs> why, don't we, why don't we do something like that, you know? But that's just what it took to get me in the door. And it's, it's two hours. It's not like it's, you know, I can do anything for two hours. Well, you know, it's funny that you said that. And, and when, when you said that, it brought me back to a previous guest who said, caregiving is not convenience. Right. And, and that just jumped right into my head that a previous guest said that. But speaking of your website, let's talk about that for a second. I know you're closing in on about 9,000 members of your group. 
We are. Let's talk about that. How does one join or is there a process or um, talk about the group and the mission? We started the group, we started the Facebook page really because I felt like once it, once it got some traction, once the news, the local news picked up that I had gotten the dishwasher job and it, it, it went crazy. I mean, once that happened, everybody started sharing the story. I mean, truly, truly viral. And we knew very quickly that we needed a place where everybody could go. Um, all those other people, there are 140,000 um, residents in facilities in the state of Florida. So when I, when I, when I got to the governor and I, you know, I said to him, I sit here in front of you today representing literally hundreds of thousands of caregivers, meaning there are millions of us, you know, out there in, in the United States who are feeling the same pain. So we started caregivers for compromise as a Facebook group. It was just one page, um, finding that it was, I mean, the numbers were growing so very quickly and they were coming from all over the United States as this news story spread. And I have said many times that the story is a feel good story. It's a love story. And it, and it is, it really is. And we all need that feel good story right now. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's gone viral. But for me, the beauty of it is it has opened up the door to the real issue here. And that real issue is the loneliness and the isolation that is taking place, um, that, that these residents are dying. So we, we started the Facebook page and, and it has grown like crazy. We eventually have, have done a page for every state because every state's different and they need to join together in their state to get to their own governor. What kind of pushback are you getting, one, from the facilities and also from any of the governors? 140,000 people is a lot of people to allow into a care facility at a time like this. So I can only imagine, as much as I support what you're doing, and, and I really think everybody in a facility should have an essential caregiver that can go in there, because we all need advocates when we're in the hospital. Um, what kind of pushback are you getting? I'm not getting, well, that's an interesting question. It's a, it's a multifaceted question. From the governor, for example, in the state of, of Florida, um, Governor DeSantis, um, once he realized that we're a big group and we're not going away and we're speaking loudly and more news is covering this, he's been incredibly receptive. This is a huge burden. And I say this, I mean, not only for, the, for our governors, but for the care, the centers themselves, the facility, the management there. I mean, we know why we're here. We know why this was done. Um, and, and we know why they're reluctant to open it up. Obviously, there is great risk here. And we recognize that. But we also know that that people are dying anyway. It's not necessarily working what they're doing. The, the virus is getting into facilities and it is killing people in facilities. So my mantra has been all along, there has to be a better way. The pushback that I'm getting from the facilities is an interesting dynamic. And I have spoken a lot um, about how the power shift has occurred, that somehow through all of this, the facilities have taken on the role as the main advocate for the patient. And that's wrong. They're not the, the, the advocate for the patient. I'm the advocate for my husband. Exactly. And they believe that. that, correct. And they believe they're smarter than me and they believe that they know better than me. Now it's well-intentioned and I don't mean that disrespectfully at all. I absolutely believe that they're doing what they feel is in the absolute best interest, but this is also a business decision for them. 
They're thinking liability. They're thinking expensive PPE. And what I have said to the task force here in Florida that have two representatives on it that represent the industry is that you are making business decisions when this is now a humanitarian decision. Exactly. It's not a business decision. Exactly. You need PPE, we'll find you PPE. You need, I mean, the staffing needs to be there. So, I mean, things like they want a monitor. They want, they want someone to stand and watch me be with my husband. And I said this on the task force. I don't need a monitor. I'm not in third grade. I don't need somebody to stand over me and say to me, don't you touch him. Don't you touch him. You cannot touch him. And then they turn around and touch him. Okay. That's a problem. I've said to them, why can't I touch my husband? At, and I do, I hold his hand. We lay in bed together at night. Why can't I touch him as a dishwasher and I can't touch him as his wife? You guys don't have the authority to tell me that Good as the you. facility. And it's really, it's an interesting dynamic. I even had a conversation yesterday with somebody in a facility who said, you know, well, we just think that you don't get to make those decisions. It's not up to you. And oh, by the way, I pay you. (laughs) I'm your customer. You know, you're not telling me what to do. Now, again, we want to be safe and we want to do this the right way. And we want to put in all of these precautions. I have said also, I mean, I personally get a rapid test done. I got one done yesterday on my way to the facility to do my dishwashing shift. I'm fortunate that my brother-in-law is a physician. I can get one in his office. I sit in his parking lot. They come out. They give me a test. 15 minutes later. Later. I mean, I've been tested about 14 times. Now, let me July. ask you this. Um, what, I'm, what I'm hearing is that a number of people that work in these care homes move from care home to care home. And very often, I don't know how often I don't have any numbers on it, but they are bringing the virus into the facilities where they work. But if it's not them, who? They're the only ones coming back and forth. And again, I'm not, I want to be sure to reiterate, I am not blaming them. Right. You know, this, the system, the way it's set up right now is they're going out and living their lives. What we're saying is we think we can do the same. Why can't we be the same as the dishwasher that goes in there? I'm not doing anything special. I'm getting tested every two weeks by them. They do it. I did it uh, Wednesday. I went over there and got a test from them on Wednesday. And then yesterday I go on Thursday and I get this rapid test. It's for my own well-being. It's an optional thing that I do because my point is I want to, you know, I'm, I'm here standing yelling from the tallest mountain. It can't come in from me. I have to be really, really sure that I'm careful, that I'm following guidelines that, I mean, you know, God forbid it's me who brings it in. And everybody's going to point at you. Oh no. I mean, it would would be horrible. Right. So as an advocate for for having an essential caregiver assigned, are you as part of your outreach, teaching people what they need to do in order to have that position? We will. We haven't gotten there yet because we're sort of taking this step by step. One of the things that is in my next here in Florida, here's where we are. And one of the things about the, the Facebook group is my goal is we have shared everything that we've done in Florida. We presented the, a white paper to the governor with our, you know, with our, I don't like to, to use the word demands, but our suggestions to him. And he has done a very, very good job of following that. And so we put all of that stuff up so that everybody, every state can use it and, and modify it as they see fit within their own page, their own group, and what's going to work best for them. So one of the things that we will be doing as we're moving through this process, the Florida Task Force has, has what they're calling one more meeting 
on Tuesday of next week, we will have our final guidelines there that we will all agree on. And I don't, I believe we will all agree on them, um, including the, the state surgeon general, the industry folks, the head of ACA in the state is the one who is our moderator for the task force who is doing an unbelievable job, Mary Mayhew. Um, we will agree on that on Tuesday. I believe it will go to the governor on Wednesday. And once those final, um, uh, all those th items are agreed upon, I'm going to do, I think we'll end up doing a video where I can share with everybody, you know, as sort of the, the leader of this group to say, okay, guys, we have to take this very seriously. And here's how we need to do that. So what, here are the rules you know, this is what this looks like to answer some questions and even talk about the seriousness of the PPE. We are going to be able to touch them. And that was been, that has been a big force for me. I don't want at this stage of the game, I don't need a plexiglass in between us. I need to hold my husband's hand. Right. Um, we, we need to be able to get close to them. And even the Surgeon General believes and, and, and Secretary Mayhew believes with proper PPE, with hand hygiene, in a, in, a, in a secure area in terms of we're not out with other residents, we're on our own, we're either outside where there's ventilation or we're in a space inside because of the heat is a concern, we're going to be in a space inside that can be controlled um, with all of those proper hygiene and all of those proper PPE that we're going to be just fine. But we have to be vigilant and we have to follow the rules because we need to show them that this works and we need to show them that we can go to the next step um, which for me is, I mean, the end game here is, is testing, is rapid testing at the door for everybody. I mean, that's the only way we're going to get back in with some normalcy, but we've got to prove ourselves first here. Well, I, I have to say you're doing a service for thousands, if not millions of people. And I understand this is also an issue that um, they're dealing with in Canada as well and finding a great deal of resistance. Are, do you have people on your site that are from other countries who are very, who, who are watching this and maybe taking it as a model? We do. We certainly have some from Canada um, and we are getting attention from, um, from a few other countries, European countries that are, that are watching. I think that if we can show that I mean, there, there, there's always going to be pushback. There's always people that are going to be afraid. Um, mm -hmm. I had one at the, at the task force meeting the other day, one of the, one of the uh, industry folks said, you know, we have residents that are afraid. They don't want anybody back in. I, that's really, I truly believe that's the minority. I mean, and those people can be respected if they fear, if they fear that. I, I don't see that from the majority of people who want to be back to their loved ones. And I think if we can show them that we can do this safely, we are leading the way for other states to follow us. We are leading the way for other countries possibly to see. We're never going to get rid of this virus. So how are we going to work together so that this is, I mean, I tell, you know, I, I get some pushback from our folks that this isn't good enough, that it's, you know, and I tell them our name is caregivers for compromise for a reason. They're not going to throw the doors open and let us in. They're just not. So let's open the door. It's a crack in the door. Let's go in and let's prove to them that we can do this safely. Um, you've mentioned about rapid tests and you getting a rapid test on to admit that I'm kind of ignorant as to what that is. Could you explain that a little bit? Sure. There's a couple different ways. I, I, listen, I've had the, a wide variety of testing done from the, from the general public testing of uh, nose, deep nose swabs to mouth swabs to 
Um, I mean, really, there's like four or five different ways. The rapid test is one that you can get a result in 15 minutes. Now, the downside to a rapid test is is there there's it's not 100% accurate. Correct. There is some there there now they're getting more accurate as new tests are de- being developed and they're being developed every day. Um, the Yale Yale just has a new um, saliva test that has just come out that's a rapid test. So one of the things that we're doing as sort of a next step behind the scenes right now is I am talking in, with my U.S. congressman um, who is very cooperative and who wants to help us get to the federal government level to say we need funding for rapid tests just like we needed funding for ventilators, for respirators. So um, as they picked up the production and drove that production increase, we need them to do the same with the rapid testing so that when someone comes up to the door, they get a test, 15 minutes later, they're given a negative, um, you know, obviously a negative result and they're allowed to go in. Now, that doesn't mean that we're careless with the PPE. I still wear a mask when I'm in the facility with Steve because I just want to be certain. But it gives us a sense, especially as the accuracy gets better, as these tests develop, then it gives us a sense that we can walk in um, and, and, and knowing that we don't currently have the virus. And that's where we're headed. In a matter of two or three months, the accuracy of these tests are going to go through the roof and we're going to be in really good shape in terms of being, them being helpful and getting us in the door in a reasonable way. Well, I have to say, you know, one of my favorite quotes from Mother Teresa is, do small things with great love. And that's exactly what you did in the impact is now huge and how that 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 thing that you did out of love for your husband to go in there and not only wash dishes but clean that damn floor (laughs) (laughs) has impacted so many people you Um, know it's been the the first couple nights when we were doing the website and we were um we were I was up late. It was midnight. I one of my good friends is helping me with the video production, and uh, Ansley Ward is doing an amazing job as as, as uh, my sidekick and getting all of this done. And and she was telling me, Mary, we need to set up some rules, and we need to monitor. We need administrators. And I and I got a little teary eyed, and it, because it was just, it's just, it can be a bit overwhelming. And she said to me, Mary, God has put you here for a reason. Absolutely. You know, every night before I go to sleep, when I say my prayers, one of the last thing I say is show me the path you want me to take. And he has certainly shown you the path and a path that is branching off in so many different directions. Um, it's, it's overwhelming. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And I, that is so motivating to me. I think of that so many times when I'm tired and, and uh, last night at you know one o'clock in the morning, I'm thinking about what people have written on the page and what we need to do next and responding. And I think, you know, I take a deep breath and say, you know, this too shall pass. I mean, I, I do believe that, you know, at one point my life will get back to some, some resemblance of, of uh, normal, but I, uh, this is where I am. This is the path that's been given me. And I take it very, very seriously. And I'm, and I want to empower everybody that's on the Facebook group to get with your own group. And we have some that the, I haven't looked in a few days, but the Texas group has 1900 members in it. And Mary Nichols in Texas is doing an unbelievable job getting to the governor. Um, Some governors are a little bit more resistant for whatever reason, but the continue knocking on the door gets their attention. The media is aware of the story. They're telling it over and over and over again, and that will get the governor's attention. And I think if we can lead the way 
Governor DeSantis opening us back up, and even in this way, um, I think it really shows the world that it's time to do that. And it shows the world this is a humanitarian crisis. They are, I, I saw a stat the other day that said that Alzheimer's de, um, deaths are up 200% over where they were last year. I mean, they, the cause of death on these um, death certificates are being listed as Alzheimer's, but the secondary um, cause of death is failure to thrive. And that is because they're not being touched and they're not being engaged and they're just withering away all by themselves. Yes, and in the confusion of dementia, they have no idea why their family members have disappeared. Um, You are doing such amazing work. Um, I don't know how much of this you have off the top of your head. Uh, We live in Northern Virginia. I know that Virginia is part of this. I don't know how big it is. Um, Do you... And I'm putting you on the spot if you don't. You are putting me on the spot, but hold on. <laughs> I keep everything pretty handy here. So keep asking me. You're asking how many people are I in just wonder Virginia. how big it is and whether or not uh, what we can do here to um, bring more attention to it if, if it needs to be done. We um, do have less than 100 people in the Virginia group. So the more people, the better. I mean, the Facebook group is growing like crazy. And not everybody who's in the national group has joined their their groups, mm-hmm. um, their state groups. And we want them to do that because we obviously feel that that's where the real work is being done. You need somebody in that particular group to sort of rise to the occasion. It can be a group task within the group. I mean, many, many um, states have formed leadership groups. So they meet by Zoom and they talk about, okay, what is our strategy? What is our way to get, you know, in every state's different. Some states are already allowing um, Minnesota and Indiana, for example, already have the essential caregiver designation. I think Illinois, there's a couple states that are that are that have implemented or getting ready to implement the same thing. So we can watch what the other states are doing and see that spread and decide where are we in my state and what what is our best next step to get to 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 one of those essential caregiver um, designations. And we think that's the best route. I mean, that's that's someone who has a proven record of being an essential caregiver in that for that for that resident is the best person to step in now. And it's a way to control the numbers. And we need to control the numbers here at first to be sure that we're not overwhelming the system so that we have set hours for visitation. You get an hour or two, a couple days a week, just at first, just so we can get the hang of this and see how it flows. Now, um, we talked about the Facebook site. Is, is it a closed site or is it an open site? Can anybody join or do you have to kind of say, hey, I'm a caregiver, this is why. And then somebody says, yeah, you could be one of the cool kids. It, it's really set up a little different. It, generally speaking, it's 100% public. On the main page, you can join. We ask a couple questions just to kind of filter through people. I mean, every once in a while, we get somebody who's trying to sell us something and mm-hmm. you know you know how that is. So it's just a little way we ask a couple questions, but it's an open group. Absolutely, positively, because we want a wide variety of people. We want industry people there. We want, we had some comments today. One of the things that Florida is going to allow is letting hairdressers back in, which is huge, I mean, huge. Um, my husband, I, uh, last week I noticed, <laughs> huge to some people, my husband, um, I noticed, I mean, he was meticulous about, he was a salesman his whole career, meticulous about his appearance and his hair needed cut, cut so bad, you know, just shaving the back of his neck, something like that, that used to bother him so bad. I took a razor yesterday in to, to shave the back of his neck and one of the CNAs had actually given him a haircut 
not his best haircut ever. Got a little high in the back and did, you know, but hey, it'll grow out and I'm thrilled for him. But for him to be able to go and get a real haircut by a barber or, you know, I, I, he, there he's been getting pedicures, um, which he never did in the outside world. But for so to someone to take care of his feet, it was just a you know great way. Not having that for five months is huge. So just to get that back in is a huge step to get them. You know, the women that I see who have, you know, gray roots that are, you know, four inches long. How does that make them feel when they're staring at the, at the in the mirror in the morning when they see themselves, even with dementia, you have a sense of who you are and seeing yourself in a way that you've never seen yourself before. It does take its toll. And that's part of the isolation, the problems of this isolation. So we think that's a good step too. Well, Mary, anything that we definitely believe in what you're doing. One of the reasons why we wanted you on this podcast was to help with your outreach. Hopefully when I'll send you a link to this, you know, you'll share it and we Absolutely. can, you can reach even more people. I would like to stay in touch with you, get updates. I can't say how much I appreciate what you're doing because that connect, that family connection is so tenuous right now. You know, we have people who are heartbroken when their loved one doesn't remember them anymore. And when we put this, these barriers in there, it's absolutely heartbreaking. So you are definitely doing some really good work for a lot of people. I mean, my goodness, God bless you. Thank you so much. I'd like to say one last thing is the hardest part about this for me. We have two rules on the Facebook page. One is be kind. And the second is no politics because I have seen so much division and so much heartache and so much sadness. And, and, and one of the hard parts has been that, you know, I kept turning right. on the news and turning on the news, looking for a solution. Are they going to, we're going to come together. We're going to have a solution. We're going to fix this. We're going to get out of this. And we, and, and it was never there. It was never there. And so one of the things on the Facebook group that I push very hard is this is, we need to show the world that we can come together as a group, regardless. Nobody knows what to do here. This is new for every single person. Let's be kind to each other. Let's be positive. What can we do to get out of this? How can we work together to, to get out of this? And I think doing that, just like we're doing right now, is uplifting in so many different ways that it just gives us hope to a population that has been hopeless for a long time. Well, that's a wonderful way to, to wrap up the show. And I'm glad that you shared that with us. Yes, yes, indeed. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. It's My been an pleasure. absolute joy. Thank you so much. Wow. <laughs> what, what, what wonderful work. You look like you took some notes, Mike. I did. Um, first off, one of the things I find appalling, and it goes back to something that you and I have said before, that in the caregiving world, Virginia is lacking behind the rest of the country. I forget what that number was. But we were 48 out of 50 in support for caregivers. And here we are in Virginia, there's less than 100 on that page. So I guess me as an advocate, I should look at getting on that page and trying to get a ripple effect going so Virginia can have more people. Yeah, get involved. to work, Mike. The other <laughs> thing, <laughs> yeah, because I got nothing to do. <laughs> um, the other thing was, and it was so poignant that today is the best day he's going to have. Tomorrow, it's not going to be as good as today, even if just diminish your amount and she's missing his best days. And that's so, so true. Poignant. And so every moment is precious. It is. It is. Uh, it was an absolute joy having her on and I applaud her and I wish her 
nothing but the best in her plight. Absolutely. You can find more information about Mary on our show website at rogerthat.show. This has been Roger That. I'm Bobby. And I'm Mike. And we are dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. So please subscribe to the show, go to iTunes, post a review, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question or issue you'd like for us to address, please post on the Roger That Facebook page. To find out more about us, head over to rogerthat.show. That's Roger, R-O-D-G-E-R, that.show. Missing Link is a proud partner of Hearing Charities of America, a nonprofit organization that supports those who are deaf or hard of hearing. You can find out more about HCA on our website or go to hearingcharities.org. Roger That is produced by Missing Link, a media podcast company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content.